welcome everyone. I am Kyle Jones and this is the Discussing Network. I don't know what show it is, but it is the Discussing Network. And why do I not know what show it is? Because Lee Shackelford, my friend and co-host and co-creator of the Discussing Network, had this brilliant idea of winging it. Lee Shackelford, how are you? Yeah, nervous because we're we're on the tightrope without a wire, without a net. I don't so have my newts. You don't I have, have your no newts. No, and both of us have experienced the uh, unusual sense of uh, not planning. Yes, and you know whose fault it is, uh, Mr. Brown. It is Clarence Brown because last week. We were recording our review of Asylum of the Daleks. We were getting into Series 7 for Discussing Who of Doctor Who, the 2012-2013 series of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. This was the first appearance of Jenna Coleman in Doctor Who. And I think Clarence just literally came unhinged in all of space oh. and time. That's why he's not here with us on a Tuesday night at 7.30 or a little after. He's been waiting so long to, to get to Jenna Coleman episodes that he just plain blew a fuse. Yes. When yes. we finally got here. So maybe yeah. before next week, which is really cool, because if this goes out on Discussing Who, it will go out before the episode that we're talking about. So oh, this is literally uh, Willie, <laughs> literally wibbly wobbly, timey wimey going yeah. on here. Well, I, I've been trying to figure out how we're going to work the spoiler warning into our uh, random conversation. So maybe you should go ahead and do it for Asylum of the Daleks. Oh, or actually, why don't I do this? Let me just well, wing it. Why don't I say, <laughs> yeah. if you have never listened to us before, we want you to continue listening, but hmm. we want you to know that you may want to go back and watch some of our previous episodes. Watch. How would you watch? You could watch yeah. them if you have an Apple TV and are listening to us in iTunes or, depending on what space and time you're in, Apple Podcasts. And how is that for a recovery? I don't know, because it's from this good. moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. 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 That was yeah. the weirdest spoiler warning I think I've ever Whee! done. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say you should put us on pause, go back, listen to every episode of Discussing Who prior to now and all of Relativity. And all of Relativity. And all of discussing comics and discussing tracks and track. all of right. the other podcasts associated so, with us. By the time you get back here to us, you won't care anymore. That's so. right. So it really doesn't matter what we say yeah. from this point forward. <laughs> right. Because your mind is already blown. Yes. Just like Clarence's mind was blown. <laughs> His mind is blown. Like, um, finally getting to Jenna Coleman. But yeah, it is it is interesting to me. And I don't think I'd ever really thought about this until tonight, that one of the conversations that I have with other people who write audio fiction for podcasts or who write anything is that we do seem to be divided into camps, which uh, Sarah Werner of uh, Girl in Space, I think she's the one who originated this, calling us um, planners and pantsers. Pants as in flying by the seat of the pants. Yes, I remember you and our friend Shannon talking about that because you're a planner, right? I am a planner. 
she is a seats of the pants. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I had at least 10 episodes of Relativity written out before I shared it with anybody, before I gave it to cast. And she literally brings a, an Oz 9 to the company cold when they read on Saturday, and she'll cut it on Sunday. Mm. I, I admire that, frankly, I, the, the spontaneity, because I like to, to fiddle with things and tweak things and go back and look at them again and kind of hone and shape them. And maybe that's a, a lack of confidence or something, but mm. I just, you know. Well, let me but, ask you this question. Uh, yeah. Is it a type of genre? And, and let me tell you what I mean mm. by that. Mm. The, the type of story that is Oz 9 I think it leads to a spontaneity because you need that spontaneity because it is, you never know where you're going. You never, and there's funny things that happen in it. And I think that spontaneity happens because she's literally burning the candle at both ends, writing it as it goes. That's Mm -hmm. part of her process. On the flip, you knew where relativity was going from the beginning. So you had to meticulously plan it out. So I don't, I mean, I, not that I don't think that there's anything wrong with either, which I don't no. think, but is it because mm. of the genre? What do you think? No, I think that's a really good point that I, the story I wanted to tell had some complicated mysteries that I wanted to introduce the audience to through those first 10 episodes and the solutions, the answers to those questions were going to come in the last 10 episodes. So I had to know what the answers were when I asked the questions. And some of the answers actually changed somewhat. But you still Um, had the ability to lay out even the changing because the reader or the listener does not know what you changed. You do. Right. Because you laid out the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's one of the things that I find comfortable and comforting about discussing who is that week after week, Clarence and I can come here sort of shuffling our feet and showing up at the last minute because Kyle has, has already made notes and has questions to ask. And that's just, that just fits with my way of thinking so perfectly. If, and if the tables were turned, I would want to have this planned to a large degree before you uh, got on the call. This is a way in which I think you and I think very much alike. We, we, we don't want to just get in. We, we, we would never want to do what we're doing right now. It feels natural because we planned to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? This doesn't right. feel weird to me because we consciously planned that this is what to be spontaneous. I mean, exactly. you know, to have the spontaneity to be spontaneous, we plan to be spontaneous. You know, I, I teach a, a, a course in screenwriting. And one of the things we do in this beginning screenwriting class is that I challenge my students to put themselves on a timer. I give them a script that begins with two people in a high tension situation and they have non-gender specific names. It's just the first, you know, opening lines of the script. And obviously something really important is happening, but my starter is vague on what it is. But I tell them, you've got 30 minutes to finish this script. Go. Mm. And really the only way to get anywhere with that script is to let your, your self-editor go. If you're the kind of person who has to stop and keep backing up and fixing things, or you're going to sit there and stare at it and say, maybe there, I wonder if it's, you know, your time will be up. You have Mm -hmm. to go. And my students very often get divided right down the middle. 
they'll report to me afterwards they hated that and they don't ever want to do that again. And the other half will say, that was the most liberating blankety blank thing that ever happened to me in my life. I am going to use a timer in my writing from now on. Being told you have to let go mm. and see what happens. And I understand uh, for a lot of people that just feels like they're falling through space and they don't know if anybody's going to catch them. I love timers for what we're doing here in the sense mm -hmm. of it keeps because it's going forward. I do not <laughs> like a timer that's going backwards. I'll give you a perfect example. And this is yeah. maybe my ADD here. If you give me a test, say you've got 40 questions on it and I've got two hours to complete it. I mm -hmm. will spend at least 40 minutes, if not more, of that worrying over the fact of, am I going to complete it, and thinking yeah. about all the things that are going to happen. If you don't time me, I will complete that test probably in 40 minutes. That's it. And you know that the difference exists only in your mind. Yes, but my mind, I can't control my mind right. to the point to where I can let go of the clock. And the reason I mention that, I wonder if that plays into some of the people that didn't like the exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I think that's, I think you put your finger right on it. This is the way in which we're different. And, and very often I like the timed exercise. So this, this may be related to it. You've mentioned series or intellectual properties or whatever that, you know, have a specific number of episodes and that you'll leave that last episode in its box somewhere, so mm -hmm. to speak. Yes, right? indeed. And yes. I, and I, I can't do that. But you, you know that it won't be over as long as you don't watch that last episode. I'm like the doctor. I don't like endings. Yeah. And you know, I, yeah, I think that's related. I think that's... I, I think you're right. I think it's very mm. related. I want to go back and I want to t tell you something. And I'm going to mm. tell you something that I've never told Clarence this because it actually didn't occur to me until you said about the planning. That's one of the beauties, I think, that we have developed with Discussing Who is, yes, I do have questions that I insert into that are specific to the episode that we're watching. But the mm -hmm. beauty of the entire thing that we've created with our podcast now that we've done getting close to, by the end of the year, likely 250 episodes, is it plays itself almost. You know what I'm saying? From, from the introduction into the spoiler, <clears throat> into the summary, into the questions, into, you know, it just kind of has its own. It's like the fourth entity. There's the three of us <laughs> and then there's the flow because yeah. the flow is there. We know oh, what's coming that. next. Well, that's right. And it's, it's part of, to my mind, what makes a good planning worthwhile that yeah, you, you know what's you know what to expect. <laughs> it's funny that what you've got me thinking about is questions that just leave me with my mouth hanging open. Mm -hmm. uh, I hate that, but and, and especially because then I can go away later and kick myself and say, "Why didn't you say something?" Or I was um, in a in a big building uh, not too long ago. You know, we're all starting to get out and about again a little bit. And there were four people in this elevator that I was in. There's me and another guy and a couple, a young couple who were holding hands and kind of rubbing up against her. He's black and she's white. Okay. The door, op the door opens and the, the mixed race couple get off the elevator. The door closes. Now it's just me and my white brother there. And white bro says to me, don't that just make you sick? And didn't that just make you sick? 
and not, <laughs> and and it's not to what he was referencing. Right. Yeah. There's so many things that yeah that flash through your mind after because yeah the next thing that happens was he got off and I'm left there alone saying I stood there like a ninny and didn't say anything. But yeah, how about no? But you do, <laughs> or <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know what you mean. Doesn't yeah. what make me say, you know, uh, you, you could hear the brakes being thrown in your head. <laughs> you go, yeah, totally with you. Totally, totally with you. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. So I think about things like that. But here, here's a question I heard uh, a professional interviewer asking somebody the other day. I'll ask you because I think it's related. If you're in a social situation and you're and you're 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 put into the room with a stranger, right? Like you're seated at the table at a dinner party or something, or we're at you know conventions that meet in person. Um, one day we'll do that again too. What do you say to this other person that you don't know? What can you ask them, or how, how do you how do you start a meaningful conversation? So, is there a right answer here? Oh, absolutely not. Okay, I I, I think if there's a right answer, everybody would just do that. Gotcha. <laughs> But everybody has a different answer to this, I think. So my immediate, so I'm going to go with my gut instinct. And mm -hmm. my gut instinct is a paraphrasing on this question. Tell me about yourself. Because I think there is a fundamental part of all of us that want to tell people about ourselves. And for someone to give you and and even better for a perfect for it to be a perfect stranger someone who wants to listen to me about me i'm not saying that that's egotistical of us i think that's just a basic human need it's almost that little voice that's saying hear me hear me i'm here oh yes no don't you think that that if that were not true that social media as we know it would not exist oh absolutely not I mean, it wouldn't. Yeah. It, we're, we're curating a version of our lives that we'll present to people and say, this is what my life is like when it may not be. <laughs> That's it's really our day-to-day -day quotidian lives are not interesting. And nobody wants to, you know, you know, follow you on Instagram, you know, to see you eat breakfast or whatever. It's that connecting that that question makes. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. The first time that I went to Hulanta, Everybody in that room or the halls that we were going through right. were complete strangers with the exception when I got there of Clarence. Mm -hmm. I knew Clarence. Clarence knew me. Everyone else was strangers. Now, yeah. we knew you by voice, but even with mm -hmm. you, you were, for all intents and purposes from the physical world, a complete right. stranger. Now, yeah. you go and to the future, to the next time we went to Hulanta. Oh, look, there goes Alan Seiler. Oh, look, mm -hmm. there's this person. Oh, look, this, I don't know who this person is, but we saw him last time we were here. That's right. And it's those and here's connections. Nicole Mazza. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? So I yeah, think absolutely. it creates this familial bond with with this subset, wherever the subset is, like you take one of your classrooms, for example, that mm -hmm. feeling that you have, even as the instructor, when you're seeing these faces on your screen for the first time versus their interaction and contrast that with to the last time the course meets at the end of the semester. The exchanges, I would imagine, 
would be a lot more familial than they were a lot more formal in that first session. Am I right? Absolutely. See, I knew that if you and I just started talking, we'll end up on something that would actually be on topic. Because to me, this is one of the beauties of a fandom is that if we go back to our example of Hulanta, we can go there and be surrounded by strangers. And yet just by walking in the door, we know that we are with people with whom we have something in common. Correct. And I'm a, I'm, have always been a shy person. I kind of keep to myself in, uh, w w around strangers. And, uh, but then when I get to know them, then you can't shut me up. But, um, the, <laughs> but I, you know, I've always reticent at first, but I, I decided that I was going to start trying to be more outgoing, more personable. And the first place that I experimented with that was at, uh, the Gallifrey conventions in uh, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. because I knew I was, you know, these are, these are our people. And there was nobody that I just initiated a conversation with who smiled tightly and backed away <laughs> or, you know, it just, everybody that I struck up conversation with was, you know, wanted to talk. And, and I made friends that even not, not, not always people whose names I remembered, you know, but, uh, I, I got to know people there. And uh, similar, I think, yeah. would happen if you were a sp avid sports fan. Take yes. the sports team of your choice and the sport of right. your choice, and you're sitting in the stands, and you're surrounded by people who are wearing these colorful jerseys that mimic whatever that is. It's that same feeling of regardless of color or creed or what, I am accepted here. These are, like you said, my people. Yes. And I'm surrounded by people, maybe thousands of people who are all cheering the same thing I'm cheering and so on. It's, yes. it's accelerating. Indeed. And I, yeah. And, and I think I know a lot of guys who feel that they uh, don't need a lot of social connections. They feel like that's for girls or something or that they're not demonstrative of their emotions and so on. But put them in that context. And clearly they're feeding on the the energy of their social connections of being with their buds who are, who are, who are wearing the same Jersey. Yes. Know? And, um, you know, I just think that's again, the beauty of making connections with people regardless of how, cause I'm a, more of an introverted person too, in all honesty. Yeah. And that, that, like you said, that feeling of, finding those, whoever those are that you can connect with. Shannon Perry made a very interesting comment. I was going back and listening to the talk she and I had that we did on discussing comics, and she mm -hmm. made a comment saying, in the last couple of years, thanks to connecting with this podcasting creator's groups and universe that she's connected with that she's had so much contact with people of like-mindedness that she's never had before and i think that's the beauty of you know we always talk about the bad things of social media and technology mm. i think the connectedness is one of the beautiful things that we have the, that offsets that yeah so one hopes yeah. And that's, that's really honestly what I tend to dwell on. I mean, when uh, a lot of people just sort of blanch whenever you say social media, but 
I, I think about, you know, my friends are all over the country in other countries, but I have, I'm, I'm never far from them because I could reach out to them in an instant. I, that's, that seems miraculous to me. Case in point, we see Dave Cooper, who is in England, and <laughs> he's right. at a wine tasting at some yep. point in history and time. Well, <laughs> we, it's not that we say, hey, Dave, are you going to the wine tasting? We just see <laughs> that that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, he's thousands of miles away. Right. He's, he's watching the Wimbledon matches. <laughs> and, uh, and so what the, the strange thing is, when I you know, found myself in Yorkshire and that he was willing to hop in a car and drive a, a piece to, uh, to get to where I was. So then he and I are having a glass of wine together, sitting at the same table. And that's the thing that is, is strange. Not, not all this other miraculous stuff where we're able to talk across uh, time and space and time zones and everything. What are you doing in here? <laughs> Mon dieu! Ma petite oiseau! <laughs> I shall return! Really? The things I put up with on this ship. Be sure to subscribe to Oz9 wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We deal in a medium of audio. We craft stories. Because, you know, we were talking about earlier, I, I made the comment of discussing who seemingly just kind of almost writes itself because there are certain parts that we just flow into and we review episodes etc and so forth you write actual drama and put it on the written page and then create it in audio format as do many of our friends my question though is why do you think that audio is having this powerful resurgence even now we've got like you know, Spotify having paid Spotify content, I think, Apple trying their to put their foot in the water and wade into selecting special podcasts, et cetera, and so forth. Right. Why do you think this audio medium is so enticing to people? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reasons, and I, I'm struggling to understand them all. But I know what, I know what people tell me, that... They love how portable it is, you know, that you can, that an audio drama, you know, or a a book on uh, an audio book or whatever, you can put it in your pocket and go out and mow the lawn. And that's not something you can do with a movie or a TV show or a book for that matter. So the wonderful portability of that and, you know, how much audio drama I have consumed while driving down the highway, that's you know, it's a staggering number of hours for me. To me, that's ideal. And there's a direct connection between what we hear and what we imagine. I sometimes think of it as being the physical distance between your ear canal and your brain, you know, mm-hmm. which is very, very short. But, you know, uh, audio, drama, comedy, it's, it is a landscape of the imagination. And I, I think people enjoy, a lot of people enjoy using their imagination a comedian of the the golden age of radio that i i I much admire uh, fred allen somebody asked him if he thought uh, television was going to make radio obsolete he said i think (laughs) he may have been premature but he said uh, no because uh, people will always prefer radio over television because the pictures are better 
deep. Yeah. But I, I still believe that he's right. TV certainly uh, clobbered. <laughs> I mean, m- most people don't even know that there was 20 years of world history in which radio drama, radio comedy, radio variety was the predominant entertainment form <laughs> in mm. the world, you know. Um they, they just don't know. It's like uh, that book closed and then they just don't even know that it happened. But so many of the, the radio dramas and the radio comedies of your time just hopped over to television, kind of ready to go because they had built in audiences. And a lot of times people were disappointed by what they saw because it wasn't what they had imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something, of you know, well, especially at- if it was something fantastical, if it was, a, you know, a, a science fiction show. Well, look at all the ideas of, and yes, Marvel Comics or Marvel Studios has done a great job Mm -hmm. of the look of making those costumes translate into real world, quote unquote, as opposed to you look at the comic book movies minus Superman in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Some of them look very cartoony almost because they tried to be too close to the comic book. And it just like you just said, didn't translate well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, sometimes it just turns out that when you actually dress somebody up like that in three dimensions, a real person, Doesn't, it just yeah. looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love, you know, and we, of course, we talked about this on discussing comics, but I, I love the WandaVision episode where they, it was Halloween. And so coincidentally, Wanda and Vision end up dressed like the comic book versions of the Scar Vision and the Scarlet Witch. And they looked ridiculous. Yes. Yes. uh, Nice way of acknowledging that. So I want to pivot and ask Mm. you a question since we're talking comics for a moment. Mm. I know you are a big fan of the Fantastic Four. We've even done an episode, or there is even an episode of discussing comics where you and I, I think this was the last time you and I were on together recording. Mm. We were in Birmingham at the same time, and we recorded an dis- episode of Discussing Comics. We talked wow. about the Fantastic Four. My question to you is, it seems to me that audiences have a difficulty connecting to them to some degree on the big screen. Why do you think that is? And how can Marvel Studios, if you were doing that movie, yeah. how could you connect people to them? If I was in charge. Yeah, it's 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 a mystery, isn't it? Because we've we've seen it tried several different ways. And for the most part they don't work. And they, I mean, it's the world's greatest comic magazine, right? Said so right on the cover. Exactly. Uh, and and more to the point, they were from the beginning tremendously popular, and they they launched the empire, and and it and they've gone away and come back, and you know sometimes it just doesn't work, but they're still Marvel's first family, and I I feel like that's what we haven't gotten yet that we don't, that it has always been about those relationships that Stan and Jack had a really good idea to start with about those four people. And if you take their personality traits seriously, 
you can see why they might be an effective fighting force together, but don't expect them to all, you know, hang out together and be friends. But, you know, it, it started there, and I just like to kind of get back to the, the basics. Also, from the very beginning, the Fantastic Four, to me, was always about stories told on a massive scale. Sometimes we haven't, we haven't done that justice. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. But oh. I'm, just, I'm just thinking about by the time we got to um, the, the war on Earth at the end of uh, the Avengers, I was just loving that, but also thinking, now this is the Fantastic Four. This is the comic book that I grew up loving. It and, just has the Avengers in it. <laughs> and say, I'll tell you where yeah. the yeah. where the Fantastic Four would have fit in to that particular story if they had have been introduced. And maybe this is the route that the MCU needs to go. Every movie of the Fantastic Four has staged them in the traditional heroic superhero movie. And I think what made the best Fantastic Four stories, not a superhero team, but a family with powers who were explorers and adventurers. And I mm. think if they pose, if they presented the Fantastic Four as discovering an unseen part of the MCU, whatever that may be, that might be how to make them work. Interesting. They still have power. Yeah, I wonder. Right. But it's it's incidental to who they are. Correct. Yeah. I think that's a, that's an interesting interesting point. And I well you, I mean and you and I are both um, very interested in Doctor Doom and I think we can agree that nobody has taken Doom seriously yet. I, I think it's fascinating that all of the different iterations of making films about the Fantastic Four, we there's always Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. So they they know he's he's part of the formula, but I just love in the comics I love the originally conceived backstory for him, and I don't understand why we have to have to tinker with it. Yeah, I agree. You know, I love the fact, and this is the thing that I think Marvel does so well with their characters. If you can make your villain relatable. I'm not saying agree with, I'm saying Mm -hmm. relatable. But if you can make that villain relatable, I think you've hit that magic sauce or made the magic sauce in that viewers, readers can connect with because you can understand that character, again, not necessarily agree with, but Mm -hmm. understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Case in point, Magneto. Right. I mean, I think that's a that's a brilliant turn for telling that story. He 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 starts out as a victim. He's he's still getting even. I mean, and I've always said if I was a villain, I know who I would be, and that would be Doctor Doom. And and I think it's important that Doom doesn't have superpowers. That he's he's Iron Man. You know, it's all in the armor mm-hmm. with a little and bit of Doctor Strange on the side. That's true. He's also he also has a. He's a honest to God warlock, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, good point. But I, so I think it's interesting that in, in the movies they're always uh, contriving to somehow grant him superpowers. Uh, I get what you're after, but I think that's kind of I don't know. I think we're missing it. Yeah, that's just like I, if you did the Black Panther. If you did, if you if you uh, introduced the Black Panther and all you said was he was 
from New York City, and he got the totem of the panther and becomes the Black Panther. That's mm-hmm. not the Black Panther. Right. You're, you're yeah. calling a character Black Panther, but that wouldn't be Black Panther. Right. Yeah. So I've been asking you questions before we wrap. Mm. You, your, your turn. You never get to ask yeah, all I the, know. The, the hitting questions. That's right. I, I was going to ask you what uh, what you think about um, Fantastic Four and about what, I mean, I, well, I guess you said <laughs> that what, what, what they need to focus on is being adventurers and explorers. Um, okay, so let me, well, I won't ask you the question. I'll tell you my opinion. I, <laughs> I yeah. will say, I think they, when they introduced them, I would actually like to already have the kids there, the two Hmm. kids, because I think they bring an interesting dynamic that Marvel doesn't have in the MCU. You've got the one kid that's so powerful, then you've got Mm -hmm. the other kid that's so smart. I just think that would be cool. Yeah, my gut has always said no, but you've got me you got me thinking about it. I I guess I always feel like when you bring another generation of people into a story— that when, when your heroes start having kids, that it's um, it's like we've run out of ideas. So we're going to have to start, what I always say, uh, of writers. We're trying to solve problems by throwing characters at it. That's, um, they're going to have kids. Normally, I would agree with that. But yeah. I think I've made reference to, and spoilers for anyone who has not seen the CWs as of this recording, the CWs new Lois and Clark or Clark and Lois, whatever the name of it is. It's the new (laughs) Superman on the CW. They have the story to where Lois and Clark have twin sons. And it's about one of the sons developing powers. And I found that one to be honestly one of the most interesting Superman stories that I've seen on TV or in the movies because I've never seen it before. Yeah, and I've never seen that, and I haven't seen it, so... But it's it's still Superman, but it's mm-hmm. presenting him in a different way other than what you've seen of Clark going to Metropolis and becoming Superman. We've seen different versions of that. I can think three or four yeah. versions just in my lifetime. We've seen that on the small slash big screen. Mm-hmm. We've never Overnight. seen Super Dad. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's different. It's different. It's going to be different, yeah. So, but boy, that teaser for the next phase. Yes, it was I, I, beautiful. I, 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 so gorgeous. I just loved everything about it. And then the very last thing on screen is that big blue four. And yeah, my heart skipped a beat. I'm like, okay, we're going to do it again. Let's go. As part of a master plan. And we've already seen the scrolls, you know. So correct. I, I I feel like we're there's a a dedication to to honoring the the source material that maybe has not been there in the during the Sony years. We'll see. I know what my question is that I can ask you, and this 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 makes it even more complicated for you to figure out what to, what show to use this on. Awesome, but Go um, for it. I, I yeah, just to 
I love a good challenge. Hence, there you go. Hence, you know what I did with the Kyle will come up with a good way to introduce Lee. Yes. You saw what I did. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you raised it to the power of 10. So. Yes, indeed. So go for it. I'm ready. Um, I feel like the Doctor Who franchise is, is in trouble. Um, the pandemic didn't help. I just think that interest is is waning in the world. Viewer numbers are good, but I don't know. There was so much excitement week to week and season to season in previous years, and I'm just not feeling it now. And I know the pandemic is a big part of it, but if you were the showrunner, how would you save Doctor Who? Ooh, ooh, that sounds like a Kyle question. Uh -huh. Very good. Not saying that my questions are good, but... Yes, but... <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. I would save Doctor Who by... I'm just going to say it. I would get rid of Chibnall. It's already I, done. You're the showrunner. I so, know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm the showrunner. Okay. I would keep Jodie Whittaker on at least for one more season because mm -hmm. I want to redeem the 13th Doctor because I went into this thinking that she, the actress from what I had seen, would be an awesome 13th Doctor. And yeah. I see that we... I get the feeling we received a lackluster 13th Doctor compared to previous. And I would love to be able to pin a story or, you know, that would redeem the actor's ability to present a new version of the 13th Doctor. That would be the story. The second thing I would do would be to somehow create sort of like DC did with DC Rebirth, to something that would tell the audience, we're back. The more I watch Classic Who, the more I think about how high the stakes are in some of the stories. So we just did uh, Pyramids of Mars, and we had that wonderful thing that, you know, reportedly was the producer's idea, it said, you know, we're always saying if we don't fix this, then the future will be destroyed, you know. And just this once, we had the doctor say, let me show you something. <laughs> and they mm -hmm. got in the TARDIS and went to the future. And the Earth is decimated. And he tells Sarah Jane, you know, it's not just the Earth. It's everything. And she says, we have to go back. <laughs> yes, we do. And I just think about the scale of things like that. And I, we, we haven't seen so much of that Sometimes we've been told that the stakes are high, but I, I, haven't, I haven't felt it, that the stories feel small to me, generally speaking. You know, the one time that they actually did the our actions have consequences thing was, you know, this stupid Earth future where the planet is inhabited by, by monsters. And if we don't get our act together ecologically, that's what the human race will be. And it was well, preachy. Yes. And we were told it 10 times. And I just thought there is no theory of evolution in the world that's that suggests that that's what would become of us. So, no, I reject that outright. And you're saying it over and over again doesn't help. It's just a dumb idea. I'm sorry. But but that thing in uh, Pyramids of Mars, I believed it as fantastic as that is. I said, holy crap, we better get back to 1911 and sort this out then because because it seemed it seemed credible within the rules of the of the episode or the, the internal logic of the episode. So I don't know. I, I just I think I'd like to see more sort of uh, 
galaxy spanning uh, fate of the universe hangs in the balance, things like that. We, we, we got that in the 10th doctor's time mm-hmm. with the, with the Davros stories and things like that. And uh, I just, I'm just thinking it's just, I, I feel like um, Chibnall doesn't like those stories, but I think Kyle will. So, you know, um, well, while you're showrunner, I think we're, we're going to have scripts that will tickle me more. So. Yeah. I, and you know what? I think that when you come in and you want to put a fresh coat of paint on the TARDIS, mm. you don't make that TARDIS so different that it's unrecognizable. And back to your original mm. question about is there a decline in love or excitement, not necessarily love, but maybe the word is excitement for Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, excitement. I think, I'm sure there are, but I would think that there are much fewer advocates that can get excited and behind the recent two series as opposed to the people who get behind Oh, I love Capaldi. I love Matt Smith. I love David Tennant. I love Tom Baker. He's my doctor, my doctor, my doctor. Yeah. I don't think you have that. And I'll go one step further. We had Bill Potts. When when we got Bill Potts, we (laughs) knew we had her for a set amount. And I know I've said this before. Set amount. We were devastated at the end of her story. We had these other characters for Ryan and Graham for two series. They leave. I could have cared less that they left. And it's sad that these actors did not impart more on me, but I could have cared less that they left. And I've never had that happen. Uh, not since classic who <laughs> no or sometimes we yeah we were happy uh, to see some of them go <laughs> right some of them yeah or or some of them were so much like the ones before that it's hard to tell the difference but uh yeah we've certainly had a lot more distinct personalities since then but to think about rose and the 10th doctor being separated by dimensions after the battle of canary wharf i mean we we haven't had punches in the stomach like that or as you say our parting with bill wow and yeah, it's it's too bad. Why are we not devastated by uh, Graham and Ryan walking out the door? And could it be? Mm. And again, I'm I'm actually going to go to bat for Chibnall here for a moment. Mm. I think Chibnall is a true devoted fan of the genre. You know, and specifically of Doctor Who. Sure. But okay, case in point, I am Beethoven, and I can write the most beautiful whatever cunt what mm-hmm. you know whatever beethoven wrote that fifth <laughs> sixth eight ten whatever right but you know i am beethoven i write beethoven that's like beethoven going out and trying now to perform heavy metal screaming slash your hair out rock or right. something no offense yeah. to anybody that likes that but you but it but it's so different right. and just because they're both music and categorized as music does not mean you are great at all types of music. So maybe the problem is he's good at writing these real-life type stories that have these emotional real-life drama, but maybe the forte that he doesn't have that resonates with people is this 
fantastical thing because then it almost becomes cliche. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right because, I mean, you and I were both so impressed with Broadchurch and uh, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Just some amazing emotional power in that story. And, of course, great performances from Jodie Whittaker. So, and, and, and to use the, your words there, in contrast to that, it's hard to keep us in our seats for the entire episode with his mm -hmm. Doctor Who sometimes. Yeah, right. And, you know, and I'm not saying we're jumping up and down, enjoying it. We're, we're, we're walking we're, out together. We're, we're yeah. walking out, going and doing something else because we're right. bored sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, and of course he he hasn't written everything in these last few years, but he's still the the last word. I imagine gets the last editorial pass at the scripts, and yes, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's funny. I think you're right. It's just a it's just a stylistic misfit that we need. That Stephen Moffat and Russell T Davies were interested in telling these big stories with big ideas in them, outlandish ideas and they were completely and, different in their styles yes that's right you know and uh to me there's just so much to love about both of them and love it or hate it but there has to be some level of universe shattering whatevers mm -hmm. you either need that or you need these episodes that just get you every time like vincent and the doctor you've either got to pull out go and pull out all the stops or pull out all the stops at the heartstrings, in my opinion. Right, right. And and I, I feel like Rose and the, uh, the, the the Rosa Parks episode and the uh, the one uh, set in the uh, division of India and Pakistan. I feel like those really worked for me on an emotional level. But you know, it's because I already had strong feelings about the events that were going to be depicted. Mm. Would, would I have would I have enjoyed almost any story that was <laughs> was said those two things? Uh, I wonder. And, you know, let's be egotistical and make this yes. about us. <laughs> so we recently, as discussing who celebrated five years of doing this podcast, if I were to ask you what has been the most beneficial or return on investment or whatever, however you want to interpret that, that you've received from doing this in the past five years. And then I'll answer mm. it myself. Yeah. The, the ROI is, uh, is easy for me because, uh, I, um, it's, it's no secret, especially if you listen to the podcast, uh, ignorance was bliss. Uh, Kate Walenga's, uh, amazing series of, exploratory interviews with people that, that sometimes talk about people's uh, mental health issues. And I just did one. So go dig that out. But you'll hear ah, me sweet. talking about, yeah, you'll hear me talking about anxiety and depression. And sometimes uh, I really, really struggle with the depression. And um, my meds run out about the time that we start recording Discussing Who. So sometimes I drag myself to this chair and I just say, I haven't got it. I just, you know, I know we need a certain level of energy. I know that we want to be, uh, you know, we want to be good hosts and we want to be, uh, be fair to the, to the work. And I just don't have it. And 
by golly, <laughs> I then spent an hour or more talking with you and with Clarence about something the three of us love. And when it's over, I feel great. Interesting. And, you, you know, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. No, you can't. So that, that, that's just for me personally. But but I, I hope that it also says something about the nature of what we're doing and the, the, the listener response that we get is that people appreciate our, our positivity and our our energy and that um, to speak again of our friend Shannon, she was <laughs> telling me that she was just listening to one of our episodes and just laughing, laughing, laughing because we were doing a review of a show of an episode that we clearly hated. Yes. <laughs> and, but she said it was just that apparently what we do is that when we really like an episode, then we'll have fun talking about how much we liked it. If we don't like the episode, we'll have fun making fun of it. Right. But <laughs> so we but, have fun anyway. But 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 we do it, she said, because I know what she's talking about. And she said, yeah. I was laughing at you for trying so hard to dislike it by but but at the same time being nice to it. And that's not something that we consciously set out to do. You know, no, no, that's true. That's really true. I'll tell you what, and I honestly didn't have an answer for this, but instead of saying what the biggest ROI would be, I will say in turn what I will say I'm most thankful for. Mm. The miracle, I'll call it, because I've said on this show before, and I'm because I'm going to play this definitely, most likely on Discussing Who and Discussing Comics. So on Discussing Who before, I've made the reference of you and Clarence not meeting at all having any yeah. type of dealings with each other before discussing who began. Yeah. And I've been on things where I can tell from the moment the conversation begins that there is no camaraderie, no chemistry, no yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. it just yep. Yep. is <laughs> painful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I have never felt that between the two of you and yeah. the, the chemistry bef between the three of us that is obviously so evident now, I think, is what I'm most thankful for, because it's not some of, it's not one of those things that you could plan. And of course, it could be replicated, but it's one of those magical things that happen where the right people were in the right circumstance and and the different diverse mental personalities of the three of us somehow this the fates god whatever you want to call it puts us all three together and it just works and i'm most thankful to that because this isn't a chore every week this is a privilege and an honor to be able to get on and talk to the two of you. There you go. How about that? And I didn't even have nice. my notes. <laughs> yeah, we, as pantsers, we did pretty good there. Since Clarence is not here, I think it's just appropriate for me to say that I'm pretty sure that, and I'm doing this specifically for him, and if Shannon Perry is listening, she probably knows 
what's coming next. So I'm going to speculate that Clarence is somewhere looking for my recorder. Because, <laughs> oh dear, I've lost my recorder. <sighs> yeah. Oh, you knew it was coming. I guess. Yeah, what's funny to me is your your Patrick Troughton is sounding less like Patrick Troughton with every single iteration. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm gotta, trying to make a new voice. I don't know. Okay, we got we got to we got to walk you back and make you watch all of War Games just to. Uh, oh, cool. Now, yeah. Now I can. That's a joke because, of course, that would be awesome, right? Yeah, that would be awesome. But now yeah. I do sometimes do a pretty good uh, Hartnell too. So yes, that's true. Yeah. No, I I think your your William Hartnell is spot on. Yeah. So, oh my dear, hmm. come along now. Yes. Oh. So exactly. Why don't yeah, I we? Mentioned, uh, okay. I mentioned um, what is it? Um, Dalek invasion of Earth the other day, and I thought that would set you off, and it oh, didn't. So. Oh, um, but you know what, my dear, my <laughs> yeah. friend, my young fellow, I must say <laughs> that one day we shall come back. Yes. Yes. This episode will conclude, and we shall come back. <laughs> but until then, just go out and listen to discussing who. And I don't know what else I'm going to say, but I will be back unless Susan gets back to the ship before I do. <laughs> so, thank you, Lee Shackleford. Well it's always been a pleasure, <sighs> young fellow. So, here we are, you and me, together again on the last page. But that's another one. I don't know. Anyway, so, with that, we will be back next time. I don't know what voice that was, but there you have it. Yes. You've been listening to Lee Shackleford right. as himself. Kyle Jones as narrator too. <laughs> Bye, Shannon Perry. We'll talk to you later. Woohoo. I'll leave that in. <laughs> You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. <laughs>